0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Um, you may have been part of this community before we even knew what Zoom was. If so, bless, uh, bless you and welcome. You may have started gathering with us only because of Zoom. And if so, bless you and welcome. You may have started what? Well, uh, I just had my, my thing moved. Sarah, how could you do that to me?
1: If you hit escape, it will it will change from being full screen.
0: Oh, and again, it did it. Pardon me, guys. There we go. Um, you may not mind being on camera or you might love the fact that you don't even have to get out of bed to go to church. And if so, Bless you and welcome. You may be a curious bystander wondering how this little gathering can still be happening or be wondering why we exist. And if so, bless you and welcome. You may have already grown some roots here. You may feel at home and comfortable. And if so, bless you and welcome. You may feel like a boat without an anchor. And if so, bless you and welcome. You may be thirsty and hungry and in need of some healing and hope. And if so, bless you and welcome. In whatever state of mind or heart you have joined us this morning, bless you and welcome. This is not our destination. It's just meant to be an oasis in the desert. Some shade on a hot day and the aroma of a barbecue that you smell and you just hope is your dinner. Let's pray. Thanks for waiting for us, Jesus. Here we are, ready to take part in whatever you're offering today. Would you help us to let go of the stuff that would distract us this morning, especially the kinds of thoughts and feelings that would shut out your voice and your good news for us? Thanks for always being present.
1: Amen. We're on to Sarah. All right, so uh, good morning. Um, This is the little Lent focus moment. Um, This morning's colors are blue and white, hence my little painting back here. Um, Blue and white. Um, The artist uh, Henri Matisse was fascinated by the idea that you could boil subjects down to their essence and what they felt like rather than what they looked like Um, and the emotions that they created in us. He once explained that his goal was not to paint a table but rather to paint the emotions that the table made him feel, which is interesting talking about a table, but um, for many other things that works very well. As he sought to create his vision in color, he sometimes used bright colors straight from the paint tubes, which is what I did here. This was just the colors were just as they came out and uh, I blended the back, but then then squeezed the colors on the top like he did. Um, So rather than mixing colors together to get softer tones, you have the more vibrant effect of having the colors together. Um, today's story, typically in the church calendar, is the story of the transfiguration, where Jesus has changed from what he looked like to perhaps what the disciples felt about how he looked like, like brilliantly like like the sun, like you couldn't st- you couldn't look at him. So it's about transfiguring. And I guess that's what Matisse did with his background was transfiguring how he saw to what he felt, um, which is an interesting thing. Uh, so this week's colors are blue and white. So, for instance, the sea outside of a window, the sky on a mountaintop, the light on a blue jay's wing. So, as you just reflect on those two colors this week, where are the blues in your life these days? Where do you find them most beautiful and transfiguring? Where do you maybe feel the blues of sorrow or the dazzling white of transfiguration? So uh, let's just pray. God of beauty, actually, let me just share one
0: picture with you. This
1: is the uh, open window Collier. This is the, we saw a picture last week of the of the rooftops over the top, um, but this is from a window. So as you can see, he is painting what he feels. That is a joyful picture. There is there is joy in that image. The pinks and the oranges and the greens, they just have a, I don't know, kind of a vibrancy. They kind of tingle for me. So just as we look at that, God of beauty and joy, help us to catch sight of the ways that you are transfiguring the world every day. And above all, how Jesus, your child, our teacher, is transfiguring our hearts. Open our eyes to your vision of colour all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Uh Good morning.
2: Good morning. We uh, are Karen and Steve, and we're here just to lead us uh, through our part of the service that takes in communion. Um, And it was occurring to us this morning as we were chatting about communion today that um, for many of us, it's been a a lifelong habit. And for others, it's um, been a bit of a challenge because a lot of traditions in church have become a challenge over our deconstruction or our rethinking or rephrasing, however you want to put that. Um, And so we were reminded this morning as we were talking that actually um, this isn't a man-made idea or a practice it's actually something jesus asked us to do and so however you approach communion this morning um whatever the thoughts are in your head about it um it might just be an opportunity for you to say to jesus okay how can i enter into this the way you intended for me so yeah just be open-minded whatever your previous experiences with communion have been and just know It's something Jesus is asking of us, and therefore I think he has a gift for us um, to receive um, as we take. So let's get started. Come to the table of Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus invites you here as part of the people of God. Come to the table humbly, not because you've earned a place here, but because you need mercy and help.
3: Come because you love God. And want to love God more. Come because Jesus first loved us and gave himself for us. Come because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come because you want to experience the mystery of God's grace.
2: On the night he was handed over, Jesus had a meal with his friends. He took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take. Eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
3: After supper, Jesus took the cup of wine. And after giving thanks, gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, remember me.
1: Let's pray. We're going to take
2: the elements in just a minute. God our creator thank you for the gift of your son Jesus Christ whose love pursues us our whole life long. Thank you Jesus for giving your life to us in word and deed even unto death even death on a cross. Come Holy Spirit feed us with your love that we may be filled with your power to love God with all our hearts and souls and minds. Amen.
0: You may take the bread and wine.
3: Thank you, Jesus. There's something in the um, in the communion. There's, in fact, I think there's a lot in the communion that we can't understand. But there's something about being fed and um, given sustenance spiritually. Um, as we take the communion together, we take take uh, the blood and the body of Jesus and and walk forward into the the next day. Mm-hmm. And the next day and the next day, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't get very far if we didn't eat and drink. And this is just part of what we're doing here is taking something to spiritually sustain us on the journey. Mm -hmm. So we've come to the Lord's table. We've eaten the bread of heaven. God is the one who will transform us so that we can see with Jesus' eyes, hear with Jesus' ears, speak with Jesus' mouth. So that we can be the body of Christ in the world, proclaiming the good news of God's reign. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.
2: Amen. And Brittany, we're handing over to you for uh our message today. So, Father, thank you for Brittany. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the deep love that you have for her. And I thank you, Lord, for the time that she has spent preparing a message for us to take in this morning. Open up the words father that she speaks to us Mm. open up our hearts to receive all the truth and good things that you want to share with us this morning through Brittany. and lord as she gives to us i pray that in turn you bless her
1: and fill her up amen
4: thanks karen you're welcome that was the sermon we can all go home (laughs) wait we are home that's perfect (laughs) um No, that's not the sermon, but it's pretty close. So thank you, Karen. Okay, so if you have been a devout Christian for many years and have read the Bible faithfully, I recommend that you stop. And Eden told me I should say this over coffee. Stop reading your Bible for quite a while and then start again. When you do this, you will see things you never saw before and you will see them with new lenses. I unintentionally have done this the last few years in the middle of Bible school no less. So when I read the passages for the or when I read the passages for this week, I saw things I hadn't seen before. Some things that disturbed me and some things that encouraged me. These passages all have themes of provision, giving and generosity. They have a lot to do with having enough food and sharing it at first glance. Even though my old lenses have been off for a while, I still really struggle to not see these passages as formulas. Mm -hmm. At one point, these formulas would have comforted me and I would have made them into sermon points for us so that we would know that we are all good Christians. In the words of Lando, I used to be a really good Christian. (laughs) Let's look at these formulas for a minute. Uh, 1 Kings 17 is the story of the widow feeding Elijah with the little food she had left, the flour and oil, and then God gives her more food. The formula, giving God everything, plus not questioning the crazy prophet on your doorstep, equals God feeding you. Psalm 111 speaks about all the things God will do for the righteous, including things that sound a lot like colonialism. Mm -hmm. The formula, fearing God, plus making sure you are deemed one of his, equals God feeding you and giving you land. Second Corinthians 9 is the passage about sowing, reaping, and cheerful givers. The formula, giving a lot plus doing it happily, equals getting a lot from God in return. Matthew 14 is the story of Jesus feeding thousands with only five loaves of bread and two fish. The formula, being Jesus's sidekick working over time, Plus, once again, giving God everything equals radical miracles and provision for others. Amen. (laughs) The problem with these formulas is that we know they don't always work. And apparently the Bible isn't a science textbook. So let's can the formulas. If I'm being honest, putting these thoughts together was difficult. And I felt like I was writing assignments for my Bible college again all the while really struggling with what I actually believe. Like the characters we are about to meet, I felt like I don't really know what I have to bring today. And there is a part of me that feels really suspicious of God and the Bible. So it is difficult to have any certain point at all, but I do have some questions. So first this morning, we're gonna enter a Bible story together, and then we're gonna think about our own stories. And finally, we'll share some thoughts about these stories. While we look at the Bible story, let's contemplate some questions together. These questions have haunted me most of my Christian career because the answers would help me to know if I was being good enough and what I could expect from God. My mom will sometimes remind, and she's here today, my mom will sometimes remind, so is my dad, sorry, my mom will sometimes remind me of a time when I felt very angry at God and I was probably very suspicious. I had expressed to her that I felt like I was a little bird and God was a man standing with bird food on his hand, just waiting for me to land so that he could smack me. Yeah. I know that God has provided for me a lot in my life, but my feelings of genuine thankfulness turned quickly to wonderings about whether I am thanking God sufficiently, or using my gifts for his glory enough, or whether I'm behaving well enough to keep the provision coming. And That's a big one, whether I'm behaving well enough to keep the provision coming. That feeling is where my questions come from today. The questions are, what does, sorry, why does God give to us? What does God want from us? Is God's provision truly unconditional or does God need something in exchange? If so, what does God need in exchange? Can we know? If we think we know, can we make peace with that answer? And that's my one nod to our Blessed Are the Peacemakers theme that we're doing. So please note that (laughs) I tied it in. Um, (laughs) We can keep these questions in mind as we enter the story. I'm going to paraphrase the first king's story for us. This is the BVD, Brittany's dramatized version. Once upon a time, God told Elijah the prophet to go into hiding in the wilderness where God fed Elijah via ravens and a brook. It was a long and lonely time, but Elijah survived. Eventually, the brook dried up with some with the drought, and God redirected Elijah to a widow who would feed him. Stomach rumbling, legs shaking with hunger and fatigue, Elijah walked to a city gate and saw a widow collecting sticks, presuming this was the widow God had told him about. The widow or the woman, unnamed in all other versions of the Bible, but named Anna in the BDV, was exhausted. It was another long day without proper food. Anna was hungry, hangry even. She couldn't stand the thought of going out again tomorrow to either beg or sell access to her body in order to feed her son. There were no guarantees that people passing by would take pity Or that a person buying access to her body would actually pay her. She was tired of trying to sort out what people wanted from her. Everything was exhausting. Anna hated to admit it, but she was even tired by her son wanting things from her. Mama, I tripped. Help me up. Mama, carry my walking stick. Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, come play with me. Mama, watch me climb this tree. Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, why are or my hands are cold. Mama, can I keep this rock? Mama, I'm hungry. The guilt was about to set in as she pondered these things while gathering sticks, but she was interrupted by a man. Who was he? A paying customer? A thief? What did he want from her? Excuse me, would you please bring me a drink of water, asked the man? Ugh, not a thief, not a paying customer. "'just a presumptuous man asking for water from a widow in the middle of a drought. "'He was tone-deaf and obnoxious, but he didn't appear harmful. "'Anna did not know it was Elijah. "'She nodded reluctantly and set out to get the water. "'Oh,' Elijah spoke again, "'while you're up, could you bring me some bread?' Oh, she thought, "'that's it. "'Honest to your god, I don't have bread,' she snapped.' I've got a pinch of flour and a splash of oil, which I will be using for my son and I tonight. It's our last meal. I don't expect to live to eat another. Elijah knew that feeling. He paused for a moment and said, don't worry, just give me some food and then make your family a meal. My God has told me that he is going to feed you until it rains again. Anna couldn't comprehend why but shivers ran up her spine, which is what happened when she dared believe there was still a God who cared. Well, she thought, I suppose yesterday's meal was as good a last meal as any. I'll feed the man before he turns violent. Better to die of hunger than to die at the hand of an angry man. Anna fed Elijah, herself, and her son that evening, and the one after, and the one after. The oil and flour did not run out, just as God said. Elijah even healed Anna's son sometime later when he was overcome with illness. The end. Mm -hmm. That was our Bible story. Now let's think about our stories. Now, I'm not a parent, but I am a support worker for adults with diverse abilities. And during my shift, I think I get a taste of parent life. My individuals need and want a lot from me some days. Brittany, can you tie my shoe? Brittany, I think I left my water bottle at the mall. Again. Brittany, so-and-so is getting on my nerves. I convince individuals to get up off the curb and keep walking. I settle disputes. I taxi folks around and open their fruit snacks at lunch. We get in the car at the end of an exhausting day. We're about to travel back to program. And then someone tangles themselves in their jacket and seatbelt so badly, I have to get out of the driver's seat and nearly cut them loose. In fact, one day during a day trip to Vancouver, my individuals had mostly fallen asleep on the SkyTrain, so I thought I was getting a little bit of a break. Just then, a stranger sat down beside me and said, Hi, I'm Pedro. I have autism. I speak 35 languages. Are you mad at me? He beckoned his support worker to join us, but she smiled politely and declined. Apparently, I was talking to Pedro now. Two stops later, another man squeezed between Pedro and I. He looked at me and said, hi, I'm Daryl. I have high functioning autism. Are you a support worker? (sighs) So much for my moments of peace. The two talked my ear off for the next 20 minutes. And if you're an introvert, you understand why this is distressing. (laughs) Of course, I'm honored to live life with these individuals in the big picture. But in moments like that, I'm thinking, what's next? I'm so exhausted. I don't have much left to give. Most of us have probably experienced the, what more could you want from me feeling at some point in life? I'm sure you can think of your own example, whether it is parenting, caregiving, customer service, or the general demands of life. Let's think back to the Bible story for a moment. In the first king's story, it astonishes me that in a moment of what more could be asked of me, God merges two people's stories. Um, Original versions of this story that I used to read seemed to focus more on Elijah and his need in patriarchal fashion, or at least that's how I read it. So at first, when I wrote my version, I barely acknowledged Elijah's hunger, and I sided with Anna. As I looked closer though, I realized that there were no sides. There were only two desperate, hungry people. Yes, they were desperate and hungry for very different reasons, but they were still desperate and hungry. And please know that in this section, I'm not neglecting boundaries in the midst of this. I'm acknowledging that it's okay to say no and we really need to know our limits. And at the same time, I wonder if sometimes we oversee others who are in need when we are overwhelmed with our own needs. And maybe there is a little opportunity to step in in some way. Elijah had been alone in the wilderness, fed by birds every morning for quite some time. God had asked a lot of him in the stories leading up to this one. Sometimes it looks as though God has him on a wild goose chase, certainly not living comfortably. And now my inner skeptic says, what if at some point in the wilderness, Elijah said, no, God, it's too much. Would the ravens have stopped feeding him? Would Anna have fed him? Was God's provision for Elijah truly unconditional? What did God want from Elijah? Anna had been alone, fending for herself for quite some time. Her situation demanded a lot of her, And then in this story, it seems like God asked even more of her. It's true that Anna didn't starve for the foreseeable future, and her son was even cured of a life-threatening illness later in the chapter. Provision and a miracle were gifted to her, which makes for a pretty neat story. But what if Anna said, no, I just can't get you water, to Elijah? Would God have found a different way to provide for her if she said no? Would God still have healed her son? Was God looking to test Anna's faith? Was God's provision for Anna truly unconditional? What did God want from her? And now my inner optimist says, or (laughs) is this a story of God empowering people to give to one another? Is this a story about how our creator knows that we are created to give just as God gives? Is it possible that God, this mysterious force in our lives, truly loves to give unconditionally and loves to see us give to one another because everyone benefits? Let's loop back to my personal example for a minute of giving when I don't feel like I have a lot. Some days at my job are amazing. Some days I look around at my individuals interacting with one another And my eyes fill with tears because I feel such a love for them. It's an honor to witness life with them, life that looks a little different than normal. They have their own unique contributions to the world just like everyone else. One of them gave me an earful once after I complained about a pedestrian walking slowly who was in my way while I was driving. They reminded me that this person could have an invisible disability, they teach me patience and they teach me gratitude. Sometimes they will say, thanks for driving us around in your car today, Brittany. I like your car, but you need to wash it soon. <laughs> I had a good day with you. I'm reminded by their happy stimming that it is a joy to go to the swimming pool, to pick up garbage on a sunny day, to pick up a paper clip off the floor and return it promptly to a supervisor's office. All this to say, they give back to me often more than I can give to them. Likewise, a parent often receives from their children. I think most, now I have parents in the room, so I'm second guessing everything I'm saying. (laughs) Um, I think uh, most parents would say that Crayola drawings, snuggles, smiles, dandelion bouquets, and celebrating milestones are worth the work and pain that goes into raising their children. Yes. Josh laughed. Karina said yes. I was laughing that you
3: spent more time looking at Karina than
4: Oh, my own bias. Sorry. Well, sorry. Perhaps one day those children will come and care for them. Yeah. This is so awkward suddenly. Perhaps not. But in many cases, there is a reciprocal relationship that is forming. Are these reciprocal relationships divine provision? Here are my concluding remarks. Perhaps God provided for the widow so she could provide for Elijah, not because Elijah was more important, but because we are built to give. It is a gift to be able to give. Likewise, God later empowered Elijah to raise the widow's son. Maybe this story was more about building community and relationship. Maybe this story has more to do with divine empowerment than divine handouts. Maybe it wasn't about conditions. God didn't need Anna to profess her faith before God planned to feed her for months on end and eventually heal her son, as Wilda Gaffney points out in her preaching prompts. As for my job, I get to support people with diverse abilities so that they can work, volunteer, and contribute beyond the giving that already comes naturally to them. They already give so much in their own way. Unfortunately, it's not always recognized by society, which is where support workers come in. We will give them tips so that they can play by the rules of our silly society and contribute in ways that are more commonly recognized by the general population. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I think our society needs more training than my individuals do. But that's for another sermon my individuals love to give. Like Anna in the story, and like me at the end of the shift, I don't feel like I have a lot to bring today, and certainly no answers to share, but I'm hoping by the end of this process there will be some flour and oil that come from my words to give you a metaphorical snack, and I know I'll probably receive a full-blown metaphorical meal in the Q&R, in our own reciprocal relationship here. Because maybe, just maybe, God wants to give us, give to us unconditionally, and maybe God just wants us to be here together today. But I'm not sure. What do you think?
0: Brittany, you brought it! Wow. That was awesome. I hope you guys all have a great week and hopefully we'll see you next Sunday.